0: It is good to see each of you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad that you're here, and we want you to come back and be with us at uh, any opportunity that you have. And if you happen to be looking for a church home, we would love for you to consider us here at White Oak. We need your help, and uh, we need your presence, and so we would like for you to, to consider us. I want to uh, thank uh, Brother J.C. for that prayer. I really do appreciate that. I want to thank each of you for the kindness that you've shown us. Someone told me a while back—I cannot remember who it was—he said, "I've been married to the same woman for how many ever years it was, as if that was a mile marker for him." And of course, I knew him. I don't know. It may have been Phil told me that. I'm not sure. But I have been married to the same woman now for 21 years. And that's a testament to her. And for her endurance, uh, up to the point where she got me straightened out and headed in the right direction. So I appreciate and love her and the the four girls that have uh, been the result of that union. We love them dearly. And I'm glad that Taylor got to come at least for a little while this morning. She's not feeling well. Keep her in your prayers. She had to go back home over to the house. So uh, please remember her. I would like to... Make mention that our close friends, uh, Phil and Elizabeth Carver, are with us today. They came from Memphis. Uh, Phil is a deacon at the Cordova Church of Christ, and they are a part of our family, and we always enjoy having them with us. We appreciate love and miss them very much, but uh, you want to get to, especially get to, get to speak to Elizabeth. She's such a fine lady, man, and she brings Phil every time she comes, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take him to get her. You know, names are very important, aren't they? Not only in our society and in our culture, but they are important in every society and in every culture. And often, when we hear a name, we associate that with a very unique individual, don't we? We hear a name, and and some some individual their their face will pop up in our minds, and we will think of them. And so, uh, when we when we're reading in literature or we're thinking about uh something names are used as identifiers for instance i can remember growing up i would enjoy reading about robin hood or watching robin hood some of the old movies that would uh come on tv i would like looking at that i would like reading that and i would hear those names and and descriptive uh thoughts would come into my mind and i would kind of identify with some of them you know robin hood had a very close friend And his name was Will Scarlet. Of course, Will was known uh, for that because he had red hair. And then you had Little John, a part of the Merry Men, right? Little John, as kind of, as in a way of a joke, was not a little man at all, but a very big and strong man, skilled in the fighting arts, and a great help if you were operating a band of thieves. You would need a man like Little John. Of course, there was Friar Tuck. Not just Tuck. He was Friar Tuck because every band of hooligans needs a religious leader, right? So, Friar Tuck was a part of that. And we come to Robin himself. Robin, either robbing the hood because of his uh, actions as being an outlaw, or simply maybe because he wore a hood. Now, whether or not he was a real person has been up up for debate for many years, and I've uh, watched those documentaries, and ultimately I believe they have decided that Robin Hood was the result of several men that probably did live in that era of time, but not one particular man. But of course the point is that names, or the addition to names, they mean things, don't they? They bring to our minds certain things that can remind us of someone. We see that in the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible, isn't it? Adam, the first man, named Adam by God because of that very reason. Adam means man. His wife Eve was created from the rib taken from the side of Adam named Eve because her name means life-giver, the first woman, and of course that's what she was. Abram, the wife of Sarah, means high father. Abraham means a father of a multitude. So those names, especially when they change, they bring into it with it certain characteristics, Right? Abram going from high father to a father of a multitude. And of course, that's what happened in the history of God's people. Isaac means laugh. Of course, that's what his mother did when she heard those angels say that she would give birth to the promised son at ninety. And she laughed. What about Jacob? His name means supplanter. That's what he was. He was a supplanter before his name was changed to Israel, which means God contended. And of course, He did. We come across Job in the Old Testament. His name means persecuted. That fits perfectly, doesn't it? Persecuted. Of course, he was, as far as I can tell in reading through the Scripture, was persecuted more than any other man that ever lived, aside from our Savior. And then Enoch, we all... Know about Enoch, not much said about him in the Bible, but his name means dedicated. And because of his dedication to God, God took him and he did not experience death in the same way that most people experience death. Now, he did have a separation of body and spirit, but he did not suffer death in the same way that we do. David was a beloved king and servant, And that's what his name means, servant. Solomon means peace. And he was the only king in the history of Israel who reigned over a continuous era of peace. And he did that for 40 years. Emmanuel means God with us. And he was for a short time. Joshua and Jesus both mean salvation. And that's what they both delivered in their respective roles. Now, perhaps the most famous blind man throughout the New Testament, or maybe in the Bible as a whole, was blind Bartimaeus. He was the son of Timaeus, but what was he known for? What was added to his name? Blind Bartimaeus, known for his blindness. Now, the Bible makes mention of three types of blindness in its record. Those who are deprived of natural sight, like the man born sightless, John 9 verse 1. You have those who suffered temporary blindness, like that of Elemas, the sorcerer who withstood the Word of God, and Paul struck him blind for a season. That's a temporary blindness. The Bible also talks about those who are morally blind or corrupted those that may have or did take bribes and it it uh, affected their reasoning ability and it corrupted their judgment. That's moral blindness in the same vein. We have spiritual blindness. Now, those two would be similar. They would be the same type of blindness. Now, people that were spiritually blind, whether they knew what they were doing and they intended to be whatever it was that they were, or perhaps someone that was ignorantly spiritually blind, they were still spiritually blind. Just like those in Jesus' day, Matthew 15, 14, the Pharisees. They were spiritually blinded. Now at present, we do not have a cure for physical blindness. People that are born blind, aside from perhaps a corrective surgery for some part or a piece of the eye that is not working properly. Maybe a cornea has been detached or something of that manner. But as far as being born blind, I don't know that we have a cure for that yet. There are a lot of blind people in the world. Now, when we think about Bartimaeus, and we think about certain kinds of blindness in the world, There is a blindness that is worse than physical blindness. Those people that are spiritually blind, those people who are morally blind, that blindness is much worse than physical blindness that Bartimaeus suffered. Now, spiritual blindness affects everybody in the world, whereas physical blindness does affect a percentage of the population, and I'm not sure what that percentage is. But if there's one blind person, that's one too many, right? If there's one lost person in the world, that's one too many. But spiritual blindness affects all of us. Paul wrote about that, Romans 3.23. He said, "...for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." We're all guilty of sin. God doesn't owe us anything. He has extended grace to us to help us with our spiritual blindness. I want us to think about Bartimaeus, his name. I have, a, I have a problem, I have an issue with calling blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. Well, I'll tell you why. Because I think we ought to call him believing Bartimaeus. Was he blind or was he believing? I think we learn a lot from this man. I think as we look at the account of his life and we are able to move past the fact that at one time this man was blind, I think we can learn how he went from blindness to sight. And it wasn't just physical. I want us to notice his condition. He was a blind man. He was overtaken in darkness... And Mark introduced him as blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, it must have been well known for Mark not to have introduced him. There was a certain man named Bartimaeus. So he must have been well known. I imagine there were other people in that area named Bartimaeus. There were likely other people named Peter and John and and James and things like that. So Bartimaeus must have been well known and... His malady was the identifying mark, wasn't it? Often when I read about and study about Bartimaeus, I can imagine people going along, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, and he's begging. He's asking for assistance. And they know him as, well, blind Bartimaeus. I saw him today. Or walk by someone. See, we do that sometimes, don't we? We'll see people and, and we'll recognize them. And when we mention their name, We identify them. Now, he must have been more well-known, but I wonder why he was more well-known than the other man sitting with him. See, early on he was identified as blind Bartimaeus, but I think he stuck out in Mark's mind because of his great faith and zeal for God. Because there were two blind beggars sitting by the roadside. And Mark makes mention of only one Matthew or Matthew does Matthew 20 verse 30 Mark mentions one Matthew mentions both I want us to understand what kind of sight problem he had He wanted to have his sight returned Now the Greek word translated sight in our passage means to look up but it also means to see again As I read this and I did the word study and I began to look at Annablepo, to see again, that indicated to me that at one time it is likely that Bartimaeus had his sight. Something happened, whether it was an accident or some kind of an injury or perhaps a disease overtook his sight or whatever the case may have been. It appears to me that Bartimaeus at one time had sight and that may be why he was so zealous In gaining the attention of our Lord. Why? He knew what he was missing. What a motivator, right? What happens when we get hungry? We remember what it was like to eat a good meal a few days before that, right? When we get thirsty, we remember what it feels like to have that cool water in our mouths and going down our throats. When we're cold we know what it feels like to be covered or have a coat or something. When When someone leaves our presence and we don't see them for a while, we can think back and remember the comfort that we have by seeing those people. We remember those things. I imagine that Bartimaeus sitting there on the roadside begging for alms could remember looking at people and trees and walking and having the independence that sight can bring to us. And something that really those of us who see often take for granted. What is the application of that point? There must be something that we can apply to our lives today. I think that when we look at the idea of moral or spiritual blindness, we can look at what Peter had to say in 2 Peter 2, verses 20 through 21. Let's recall the words of Peter as he described exactly what it was like for someone to have been a child of God, faithful in the Lord's service, and then having left that covenant relationship. He said, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, meaning they had obeyed the gospel, they had become a Christian, they are again entangled therein and overcome... The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. They were Christians. They went back into living a life of sin. He said, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Why? Why? I believe the Bible teaches degrees of punishment in hell. But is that exactly what Peter's talking about? Or can we connect this to the idea that blind Bartimaeus, having likely had sight at one time, knowing what that was like, having that freedom, and then we look at, now Peter is talking about those who are standing in judgment after having been Christians, going back into the uh, pollutions of the world, and then standing in judgment for that, Why is it the latter end worse for them than the beginning? I feel like because they know in their hearts they had salvation in the very palm of their hands and they let it slip away. Sitting or standing or whatever it may be next to the rich man of Luke 16 looking over into paradise. Understanding I was once a faithful Christian, now I'm not, and I am in torments. Lifting up my eyes, being tormented. Looking afar off and seeing those who I remember in the bosom of Abraham, being comforted. Perhaps that is why the latter end is worse than the beginning. What an application we can make from this word anablepo. To see again. We can never know in this life just how bad eternity in hell will be. We can't really comprehend that. We have some very descriptive terms that identify that. Darkness. Loneliness. Fire. Torment. No rest. But we can never truly know. But let me tell you, I do know this, and I know you do too if we're standing in torments and if we can identify paradise, and we know that at one time we were faithful in this life, but we're not over there, that must be worse. I don't know how you make the worst punishment in the, in the existence of mankind any worse, but I know that we have certain details that tends to make me believe that. But Bartimaeus was not only known for being blind. He was also a beggar. He was a beggar. He sat by the wayside begging, Mark ten forty six. Begging was viewed as very shameful, viewed as something that only those who were inept in some way could make a living, but for those who were blind and those who were infirmed in some other way, that was the only way which they could make a living, relying upon the goodness and the mercy of the passersby as they sat in the roadway. Luke 16, verse 3. I think we can learn something from this characteristic of the blind man as well. Not only had he uh, seen at one time likely, he knew what he was missing. He also understood something. He understood that he had to rely upon the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. God provided for us. The same thing that he has provided, or he did provide for Bartimaeus, salvation. Healing of blindness. Of course, we're talking about spiritual blindness. We must rely upon him and and him only. And and once we, we gain that sight that is offered through Jesus Christ, I think our reaction to that ought to be very similar to that of Bartimaeus. After all, we have so much more to be joyful for. Bartimaeus was was joyful, he was happy. We're going to notice that he called upon the name of the Lord and he gave him all credit for that, but that reminds me of someone else. That reminds me of the eunuch that we read about in Acts chapter 8. He studied with Stephen. He went down into the water. He obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last thing we read about him, he went on his way rejoicing, verse 39. What a relief from the burdens of sin to be able to go down into the watery grave of baptism after hearing the gospel, believing it with all our hearts, repenting of a lifestyle that is not in uh, connection with the way that Jesus wants us to live and the way that God wants us to live, repenting of those things, making the great confession that Jesus is the Son of God and then washing our sins away. Well, that's a burden that we all can rejoice about, right? We ought to. Whatever cause of Bartimaeus' blindness is unknown. But the result was the same. The man could only beg. He could only beg for help. We can only beg Jesus for forgiveness and for salvation. And He's extended that to us through His grace. The Lord taught His disciples to be benevolent toward the disadvantaged, didn't He? He taught them to show compassion. Notice what He commanded, Luke 14, 13 through 14. He said, But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. Why? For they cannot recompense you. They cannot repay you for your kindness. For you shall be recompensed or repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's a blessing to help those who really need help. And we're talking about those who help themselves as much as they can. We're not talking about those who simply just rely upon someone else to make their way for them in this world. That's not what we're talking about. Paul said, if you won't work, neither should you eat. Bartimaeus couldn't work. He couldn't see. He didn't have the freedom of work. He didn't have the opportunity to do that any longer. But his station in life had placed Bartimaeus by a roadside and would give him to give him an opportunity to receive a gift of a lifetime, and he took advantage of that though he was without physical sight, the reader can quickly recognize and perceive his spiritual perception. he knew where he was in this life, he knew what his station was now he could not see the beauty of the world around him, but he had the spiritual capacity to understand that he was in need and he could see the splendor of heavenly matters. What a great man, once we begin to look at him, crying out to the Lord as he passed by. Notice what he said. Mark ten forty seven, Jesus, thou Son of David, have mercy on me. He needed a change. He wanted a change and only Jesus could offer that. God requires change in our lives, doesn't he? Acts 17:30 30 through 31. In the times of this ignorance God winked at or overlooked overlooked to the cross, but now requires all men everywhere to repent. We need a change and we ought to want one. Right? Changing without a desire to change is not helpful. Someone may make us change in certain ways, but unless we desire to have that change, it cannot benefit us. The change in attitude that we need, again, should lead us to the great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here's something I want us to understand about that. When we read that statement made by Jesus... He says, when we believe in our hearts, it takes us unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Okay? We're studying denominational doctrines on Wednesday nights. There is this theological belief that a mental assent brings salvation. I make the mental assent that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and now I am a saved individual and looking forward to heaven one day. That's not what Paul just said. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Not into salvation, right? We need to be able to explain that to people. We need to say confession brings us right up to the cusp the point of being saved and being a member of Christ's body. But then there is something else that we must do. We must be immersed in water, having our sins washed away. Saul, before he became the Apostle Paul, fasted for three days, cried and begged and pleaded through prayer that Jesus, God, save him from his sins. The man Ananias came to his side, taught him the gospel, and said, now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now people will take that statement and they'll twist that around, they'll add something to it, and they'll say, calling on the name of the Lord means a mental assent that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is not what it means. Ananias told us what it meant. Arise and be baptized, Calling on the name of the Lord, having your sins washed away, adding us to the Lord's body, placing us in His church, putting us in Him. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, have put on Christ. See, verse 26 says, we're all the sons of God by faith. He's writing to Christians. Galatians chapter 1, first few verses. Christians are all the sons and daughters of God. How? We were baptized into Him. We put Him on. And then we live that faithful life because there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's how we call on the name of the Lord. That's what Bartimaeus knew. He said he was calling on the name of the Lord. He wanted something that could change his life. Now Bartimaeus lived under the Old Testament. So did our Lord. Baptism wasn't required for him as it is for us. Now John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Okay? But Bartimaeus, his spiritual perception, he understood where he needed to go. And he called on the name of the Lord. He wanted to do whatever he asked him to do. And we're going to notice in just a moment, that's what happened. But what did he receive? Criticism. Received criticism. He was in a, a condition of helplessness. He received criticism. In fact, he was rebuked. The crowd told him to be quiet. Don't bother him. Don't be speaking out. It seems to me that the crowd following Jesus is breaking character here. They're not living what Jesus taught. He taught to be Compassionate you would surely believe that the followers of the Prince of Peace would be willing to offer peace to someone in the state of Bartimaeus. Not so. You know, they had witnessed firsthand the compassionate nature of our Lord. Remember when Matthew recorded for us that Jesus saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and He healed their sick? He had the same reaction to those that he fed the five thousand, or excuse me, the four thousand, Matthew fifteen, thirty. He had compassion on them. He said, They haven't eaten, I'm going to feed them lest they leave and they faint in the way. What's wrong with this crowd surrounding the followers of the Prince of Peace? He would later tell his disciples Matthew fifteen, thirty two, I have compassion on the multitude again because they continue with me for three days. They haven't eaten anything. Let's have compassion. Perhaps it was the blind man's eager supplication that got on their nerves. Maybe it offended them because, after all, wasn't this great prophet going to claim his physical kingdom on earth? Don't get in his way, Bartimaeus. They didn't understand. Maybe he felt that it was beneath the dignity of the son of David to to have anything to do with a man like Bartimaeus. Or maybe it was the religious leaders in the crowd could not bear the thought to hear that name given to him, these august titles that they could not receive. That may have been the problem. May have been why he was rebuked. He was blind, he was rebuked, but more than anything else, we're going to notice Bartimaeus was resolved. He was resolved to gain what he knew he needed. He was not going to allow the treatment at the hands of these people to interfere with him attaining his goal from the Lord. There's no doubt that he had heard all the stories, all the accounts of the the man who uh, had passed through Jericho, the one who had done all the great works to those around him in his short but very powerful ministry. He must have known all about that. Surely the testimonies of others had developed in him a knowledge of who this... Christ Jesus was in His kingship. No doubt it produced in Him, as I read this uh, account, this great faith and trust in His ability to make this man whole again. And I don't think it was just physical wholeness that He was talking about. But as He cried out to Jesus, He combined both traits of the man. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the Son of God, deity. The One who could give Him what He needed. And that Son of God was a popular designation for the expected prophet Isaiah 29:18. The man that was promised to come at whose coming the eyes of the blind would be opened, and that meant more than just physical. And Bartimaeus had faith in his person and his power. You know, we must remember that just like those in the crowd, we've been witnesses to the power of Jesus Christ through the written Word of God that produces faith in our lives. And let's never try to keep that from someone. I don't think for a second we'd do that willingly. There's no way we would try to stop someone from learning the gospel and obeying the gospel, but sometimes we don't do our part in giving them that gospel. And that can keep them from entering into the kingdom of God. His great belief gave the beggar the courage he needed to face the crowd. Mark recorded that many charged him. Luke said they rebuked him. But he cried out, it says, so much the more, or a great deal more. He wasn't going away. Being blind meant that he was vulnerable. But he was willing to do what he needed to do. He risked his safety to take the to be able to be touched by the healing power of Jesus. He didn't care what happened to him if he could get to Jesus. That reminds me of Polycarp. Many of you heard that name. Believed to be a direct disciple of John the Apostle. Prior to his murder for being a Christian, he refused to denounce Christianity and Christ himself. He's been credited with saying, 80 and 6 years, have I now served Christ? And he has never done me the least wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? And that's what Bartimaeus was doing. He was appealing to the man where all spiritual blessings reside. And because of that, he received compassion from Christ. That urgent cry, it resulted in being beckoned. Ignoring the effort of the crowd to silence him, he got up and he went to Christ. And then Bartimaeus heard those words, Be of good comfort, Rise, He calleth thee. Can you imagine? We should be of good comfort. He's calling us today. Second Thessalonians 2.14 He's called us by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 verse 16. The writer of Hebrews said it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. But I want us to notice something. He didn't receive his sight just because he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of David, that He was God, that He was deity. He had to do something, right? He had to do something. He had to get up. In fact, he leapt up. He flung flung off his outer garment. He went to Jesus. And the weight and the intensity gave way to joy. Oh, what an amazing account. We have to cast off the garments of stubbornness. We have to cast off the garments of denominational doctrines. We have to cast off the, da- the, the garments of a, a weak faith. The Hebrews writer said, Lay aside every weight in besetting sin. We need to be like those who we read of in the parables. We notice Matthew 13, 44, the parable of the great price. Matthew 13, uh, 46 the field, they gave up all that they had to obtain those precious gifts because they knew they were important. And Paul said, But what things were gained to me, those I counted, loss for Christ. Philippians 3, verse 7. And because of his steadfastness, he benefited from Christ. The answering call of the Master, the answering call of the Master, he got up, he received his sight. And I want us to notice that the beggar who would not be silenced would not be silent. He praised the Lord. He gave all credit to Him. He received His sight. And spiritual sight is in our grasp. God's not a calloused God who does not love us. He's not a God that just left us to our own devices. He's a God that wants us to have sight. He's a God that wants us to reach out to Him. We do that through obedience that we talked about. Whether initial plan of salvation and following those steps and then living faithfully, or whether we've messed up in life and we need to, oblepo, see again. We can come back to Him and confess and repent, pray to God for forgiveness. If publicly, that's what we need to do. If privately, we can do that on our own. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, this hour, Please let that be known as we stand and as we sing.